0: With us and um, man, just thankful for the time of worship that we could sing. And we 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 have been praying and uh, asking God to speak to you this morning. Uh, I think it'd be a waste for you to come and just listen to me speak. Um, it wouldn't uh, help you much. But if you do hear from God, then it would be time well spent. Um, I, I just want to start by asking this morning: Is there any Panther fans in this room? Okay, security. You can escort the young lady that just raised her hand out. And uh You guys think I'm kidding. No, it's just security. <laughs> I just need, I am kidding. It's good to have you here, Panther fans and all. Um, <clears throat> are there any Patriot fans in here? <laughs> okay, cuz I was just going to laugh at you. Raiders. <laughs> Raiders. Oh my goodness. They're actually sitting with the Browns right now watching the Super Bowl. (laughs) Browns, Raiders, they're they're cooking wings and stuff. They're going to watch the Super Bowl together. So the GC Summit last Sunday was incredible. It was incredible. So I want to just start out this morning by thanking you for participating. And I want to thank you for all of your input and all the ideas and for all the energy that was given to the success of Grace Church. It was actually really a fantastic day. Last Sunday, we gathered together as a church. We shared ideas. We shared a meal. And you know what? Some of us even made new friends. There was things that we weren't expecting to happen that happened. In some of the workshops, people connected that didn't know each other. They invited each other to lunch. That was something that we didn't expect to happen. And we are just celebrating um, some of the wins that happened that we didn't even foresee um, but man, people made new friends. It was actually just a beautiful thing. Last Sunday, uh, the, the pastors were actually downstairs watching all the kids and the staff. And I just want to thank them. They really have a heart for this church and for this ministry. And uh, I got saddled. Um, I would say not saddled. I would. I got the opportunity to be given the lunch entertainment. So we fed the kids um, uh, a bunch of happy meals that were donated and. Uh, I was the lunchtime entertainment, I did my very best, I gave my best effort, and I was booed, it was actually by your son Will, but uh, he started it, Um, I was trying to do some magic and and some comedy, and they literally booed me out of the room, so uh, I'm going to come back up here with the adults where I feel safer. 1 Corinthians 12, 27 says, All of you together are Christ's body, and each one of you is a separate and necessary part of it. Last Sunday, we got to see a glimpse of what the church could be. When the body of Christ is working properly, there is nothing like it in all the world. Pastor Bill Heibels, in his book, Courageous Leadership, I think he just puts it really, really well. He says, if they, speaking of the church, if they get it, and if they get on with it, churches can become the redemptive sinners that Jesus intended them to be. Dynamic teaching, creative worship, deep community, effective evangelism, and joyful service will combine to renew the hearts and minds of seekers and believers alike. It will strengthen families. The church will transform communities And ultimately change the world. I I think we got a little taste of the synergy that comes with a united body. And last Sunday, I believe that some of us got a taste of that unity, of that synergy that happens. Because, listen, it's not going to happen with this guy alone. It's not going to happen with just a couple men and just a couple women. It's going to take all of us to see the vision of impacting this community with the gospel of Jesus Christ realized. And I believe we can become that redemptive center that Jesus intended us to be. I believe it with all my heart. We got 15 packets from all the workshops that happened last Sunday. And they're full of ideas. They're full of creative thoughts. and and honest candor about the ministries here at Grace Church. And I'm excited to say that some of the ideas shared last week are going to be implemented right away. There were some things that was like, that needs to happen yesterday. Uh, But as you can imagine, a lot of work is ahead of us. A lot of work is ahead to sift through all the good ideas to find the God ideas. This week, um, I just want to ask you to pray for us, the Pastors of Grace. uh, We're actually going away for a couple days on a retreat to seek the Lord and and to really sift through all the ideas. We've been reading through all the packets this past week, and we're just going to get away for a couple days to just really seek the Lord. And so I just want to ask you, church, to pray for us. Uh, Really pray for us. Pray that we will have the courage and the boldness to go where God leads us to go. I don't want to beg, but church, please, would you pray for us? Would you commit to pray for us? I pray that you would. Our continued hope is to impact this region with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And uh, I believe it's possible. I really do. I believe it's possible to see this vision become a reality. So much so, church, I've committed my life to this cause. I've committed my life to it. It's how much I believe it. Church, please pray for us. We need your prayers. The only way this is going to happen is through the power of Jesus Christ. Today we begin our study through the book of 1 John. I'm really excited about this study in this book. Um, it's actually the only letters in the New Testament that don't mention who the author is are the three letters of, of John and the letter to the Hebrews. Those are the only letters in the New Testament that don't mention who the author is. Um, But if you look in your Bible and you turn to 1 John, it says 1 John, right? The title over the letter in your Bible says either the first letter of John or 1 John. And that was added by the early church. The early church believed that John was the author of the letters that we're about to study. But there's three good reasons why I believe John is the author, the Apostle John. And uh, I believe he's the author of, of this letter we're about to study. First of all, I believe that John was the writer because the earliest Christian writers acknowledged that John was the writer. Secondly, because the writer identifies himself as an eyewitness of Jesus' early ministry in his early life. So uh, that's another good reason that It was the Apostle John. And thirdly, the writing style and the terminology are almost identical with the style and the terminology that's used in the Gospel of John. So, I'm going to go from the standpoint that the Apostle John is the author. Okay? That's that's what I believe, and that's where we're going to start from. And uh, I want to ask the question, like, why is that even important? Why is it important to establish that John is the author? Because verse 1... In 1 John chapter 1 begins by saying, We proclaim to you the one who existed from the beginning, whom we have heard and seen. We saw him with our own eyes and touched him with our own hands. He is the word of life. Okay, so if the author of this letter was close enough to Jesus to touch him, uh, then the words in this letter are from an eyewitness the words in this letter are from an ear witness the words in this letter we're about to study are from one who experienced the greatness of Jesus Christ it's important because this letter wasn't written by a philosopher it wasn't written by a religious fanatic it wasn't written by a man hoping to gain riches 1 john was written by a man who spent time with Jesus. Could you imagine? It was written by a man who ate with Jesus, a man who was close to Jesus. And let me remind you, church, eight out of the 12 apostles who penned the pages of scriptures died horrible deaths. They died horrible deaths because of their steadfast belief in Jesus Christ. They died because of their belief in the one that this book, the Word of God, speaks of. So as we read these words, as we look at these pages, I just want to encourage this church to remember the sacrifice. Remember the blood that was shed. Remember the ones who gave their lives so we could hold the very words of God In our own hands. This is the Word of God, the Holy Bible. It's His words to you. And I have it right here in my hand. I have a letter from God in my hand. Do you realize that you have a letter from God in your hand? Let me say this, church, if you don't have a Bible, We have a stack of Bibles that we just ordered, brand new. You go to the Welcome Center after church and say, I want a Bible. And we will put a Bible in your hand today, free of charge. Because it is a letter from God to you. Do you realize that? How precious this book is, man. And women... If you don't have a Bible that I mentioned, you can go to the Welcome Center and you can say, I don't have a Bible, and we will give you one free of charge. Did I mention... Ma- no, Jerusalem uh, Jerusalem was destroyed in AD 70, okay? Let me set the context for this book Jerusalem was destroyed in AD 70 and Christians had been scattered throughout the empire. And by the time John wrote this letter, um, you know, the Christians in the beginning, they were actually referred to as followers of the way. Because Jesus was the way. He was the way, the truth and the life. So they were referred to as followers of the way. So followers of Jesus, followers of the way, um, when this letter was written, they had been around for more than a generation. So The movement of Christ had been happening for a while. Faith in Jesus had faced and survived severe persecution. Okay? Uh, The main problem confronting the church at this time was declining commitment. So in this day, uh, a lot of people were actually conforming to the world's standards. They were failing to live for Christ. They were just playing church. And they were compromising their faith. False teachers were everywhere. And these false teachers were accelerating the church's downward slide away from Jesus. And so John wrote this letter. And the reason he wrote this letter is to put believers back on track. Believers had gotten off of the way. They were doing what they wanted to do. They were doing what was right in their own sight. And John wrote this letter to get them back. On the right path. And he wrote this letter to show the difference between light and darkness. Between truth and error. And to encourage the church to grow in genuine love for God and for one another. That is the whole purpose of this letter. So John begins this letter and he begins by giving his credentials as an eyewitness of the incarnation of Jesus Christ, the, you know, seeing God in the flesh. He also states his reasons for writing the letter. So John was an older man when he wrote this letter, and he was possibly the only remaining apostle left. So as an eyewitness of Jesus, he wrote with authority to give the younger generations of believers courage. He's an older man, And he's writing to the younger generations and he's saying, keep fighting. Man, keep trusting. What you believe about Jesus is true. I'm testifying to this fact. And so he's writing to younger generations. He's giving them courage. He's giving them assurance. He's giving them confidence in God and in the faith that they had in Jesus Christ. So, we thought it would be fun throughout this series. You're going to hear from some in Grace Church who have been down the road of life a little bit further than you have, who have walked with Jesus a little bit longer than you have. And uh, I asked some of those in our church who have spent more time with Jesus to speak to the younger generations. And so we've got a little teaser video for you this morning of just a little glimpse of what's to come And so uh, I just want you to check out this video. I'm really excited about this. Watch this, would you? I I wanted to sit down and write to you something that uh, comes from my heart, something that would help you through hard times ahead. Finding the Lord as a young person was the greatest life changer for me. Knowing the Lord will be the greatest foundation for all of your life. But in everything give thanks, because God is doing this for your benefit. Sometimes you think you're not, you don't have anything to be thankful for, <clears throat> but you do. I'm writing this letter to my grandchildren. I'm wanting to encourage them to master the Word of God and let the Word of God master them. So, I wanted to write this letter to encourage you in your daily walk with the Lord. I just wanted to share a little bit about my walk with the Lord. This is going to be good. All right? That's all I can say, is to hear from people who have been down the road of life a little bit further. I'm, I'm stoked. I'm excited about it. And uh, I pray that it's greatly encouraging to you. We actually had the privilege of uh, spending some time with my parents yesterday uh, for lunch. And uh, we were just sitting around the kitchen table, and I just asked my parents to share some stories, you know, and, and uh, man, it was just great to hear um, some stories from uh, man, those who have walked with Jesus for a long time. And I actually have to share a funny one with you. Uh, my dad, dad, could you raise your hand real quick? Yeah, that's my dad. I like how he parts his hair. And uh, <coughs> so my dad, this, he, he, uh, he actually, when he was a young man, he snuck out of the house. And uh, there was a dance, okay, that he wanted to go to at his school, and so he snuck out without his parents knowing, and he went to the dance. Okay? And so my boys are kind of listening On, huh, you know, this is interesting. I didn't realize granddaddy was ever a young man. But, uh, so he snuck out of the house, and he went to this dance, and he danced, and he danced, and he danced, and they had a dance competition, and come to find out, My dad and the girl that he danced with, they won the dance competition. So he snuck back into the house, and so Granny wouldn't find out. But the next morning, Granny opened up the newspaper, (laughs) and there's a picture of my dad and the girl that he won the dance competition with, and uh, he got busted, all right? So the moral of the story is, boys, you will always be found out, right? Your sins will find you out. Now, I'm excited just to hear, um, you know, the thing is, is we all have a story. We all have gone through things in our lives that we're not proud of, that we, we've we all had struggles, we've all had difficulties, but many times we don't hear those stories. We don't get to hear how you walked with Jesus or how you made mistakes or how you overcame difficulties. And so throughout this series, I hope and pray that these stories of faith will encourage you and bless you tremendously. So John starts out strong and he begins to write this letter and he states by proclaiming some foundational truths to our faith. He begins once again in, in verse one of first John, he says this, we proclaim to you the one who existed from the beginning. Okay, the word beginning means just that. If you study out the word beginning, it actually means first power. He was the first in power. He was the first. He was the beginning. Christ, our life, has always existed. He always was and He always will be. He existed from the very beginning of time. So we proclaim to you, the one who existed from the beginning whom we have heard and seen. We, we saw Him with our own eyes and we touched Him with our own hands. He is the word of life. And verse 1 is just packed full of power. Verse 2. This one who is life itself was revealed to us and we have seen Him. And now we testify and proclaim to you that He is the one who is eternal life. He was with the Father and then He was revealed to us. Christ, our life, came to earth as a human being. God wrapped Himself in flesh and He came to earth in the form of Jesus Christ. Verse 3. We proclaim to you that we ourselves have actually seen. Okay, We've actually seen and we've actually heard so that you may have fellowship with us. Our fellowship... As believers in our fellowship with one another is centered around Jesus Christ. There's a lot of orange out there. It's not centered around the Broncos though. It's centered around Jesus Christ. And our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. Verse 4, we are writing these things so that you may fully share our joy. The whole reason John is writing these words is because he greatly yearns for others to know and to fellowship with God. To fellowship with God the Father, to fellowship with God the Son. He wants others to experience the joy that only comes through Jesus Christ. When you truly experience the saving, transforming power of Jesus Christ, you can't help but want others to experience it as well. So let's get right into it. Verse 5, 1 John chapter 1, and verse 5. It says, This is the message we heard from Jesus and now declare to you God is light, and there is no darkness in him at all. God is light. God is light? What what does that mean when you hear the, the phrase, God is light? Let's consider light for just a moment. Light helps you to avoid danger. Okay? Light keeps you from stumbling in the darkness. But light also helps you to reach your destination. If you're driving at night, you better have some good headlights. Right? It's going to help you get to your destination. When you walk in the darkness, you may trip over a rock, you may step off the edge of a cliff, you may hit your head on a low-hanging branch... I mean, darkness is full of threat. When you can't see, it's scary. You don't know what's in front of you or around you or behind you. Darkness frustrates your ability to reach your destination or to reach your goals. But light changes everything. Light changes everything. Light exposes the dangers. It frees you from the power of darkness. Darkness can be just so oppressing, but light frees you from that oppression. Light exposes the danger, it frees you from the powers of darkness. You can see where you're going, you can see what your next step should be. Light opens the way to your goals, to your destination. It shows you the path you should take. Light is full of hope, it's full of promises. Light helps you to attain what you're striving for. Light helps you with your goals. It helps you with your destination. God is light. And in Him there is no darkness at all. If you draw near to God, listen, if you draw near to God, you will not be disappointed you won't be left in the dark because He's light. If In God, you find freedom. In God, you find hope. In God, you find joy. In God, the rocks, the the cliffs, the low-hanging branches, they're all exposed. All the dangers that, that darkness creates All those dangers are exposed because of God. And we are are made safe from them. The goal of peace. Gosh, doesn't everybody want peace? Peace of mind. You know, peace of heart. Peace. Our striving for ultimate and eternal joy. Man, we, we just want peace, and we want to be satisfied in life, and we want to know why we're here, and we want to be doing what we're doing with great passion. All of that is secured in God. And it can only be found in God, because in God, there is no darkness at all. None. There is no lurking shadows in God. God doesn't have any Hidden agendas. It's like, hey, follow me and I'm gonna be something else down the road. No, he doesn't have any hidden agendas. There's no fine print that you need to read, you know. Like, man, the book of Matthew is great, but make sure you read that little cliff note at the bottom because there, you know, that kind of explains it all. No, there's no fine print that's gonna expose God for something other than what he says he is. God has no evil intentions. There are absolutely no regrets for those who come to God with all their hearts. He is light. He is light. And in Him, there is no darkness at all. He is the pathway to perfect and eternal joy. And you will not be disappointed. You will not be let down if you follow God, if you pursue God, if you go after God. When you shine the light in darkness, everything is made clear. It, it exposes what, what's really out there. It exposes the darkness for what it is. You can see what's behind that darkness. God is light. You know, I would say another... Uh, meaning for God is light means that it's that God is truth. He's the source of truth because when you shine light in the darkness you see the darkness for what it really is, you see what's behind it so it it exposes what's really there. you see the truth. God is truth. He's the source of all that's true. The Old Testament puts it this way in Proverbs chapter one and verse 7 it says the fear of the Lord, Is the beginning of knowledge. You won't even get to first base in true knowledge if you leave God out of the picture. He is the source of all that's true. You will remain in the darkness without God. God is light, God is truth, He is the source of all that's true. You know, I I think and I believe that John chose the word light because it carries such a positive meaning. He says God is light because the word light brings with it promise. It brings with it joy and hope and help. Light just has that positive feeling of, man, there there is hope. I think of a ship, you know, that's lost at sea. And what are they looking for? In all that darkness and the, the threat of storms and waves, And they are looking for the lighthouse. They're looking for that light on the shore that can point them to safety. God is light. It's, it's full of hope. It's full of promise. It's full of deliverance. God is light and in Him there is no darkness at all. This is, this is the message that John wanted to pass to the younger generations and I want to say, listen young people, listen. Jesus came to earth to bring light. He came to earth to bring joy and hope and to bring help. And Satan, our great enemy, is masterful at painting God to be this evil weird being that's out to get you and it's not true jesus came to bring deliverance that is the foundational message of this book it's about jesus christ and he came to save he came to deliver he came to rescue he came to give you hope and to give you life god is light and in him there is no darkness at all In verse 6, John begins to explain the light and the dark. He's using this imagery. He's using light and darkness. And he begins to explain it. Let's read verse 6. So we are lying if we say we have fellowship with God, but go on living in spiritual darkness. We are not practicing the truth. But if we are living in the light as God is in the light, then we have fellowship with each other... And the blood of Jesus, His Son, cleanses us from all sin. What does it mean to walk in the darkness? What does it mean to walk in the light? In chapter 2 of 1 John, some very clear indications are given in verses 8 and 11 to show what it looks like to walk in the darkness. You ever wonder what it means to walk in the darkness? John makes it crystal clear. In verses eight and eleven, he says, "If you love, I'm sorry. If if you hate your brother, you are in darkness. If you hate your brother, if you hate people, you're walking in the darkness. It's crystal clear. He also says, if if you love your brother, you're walking in the light. Walking in the light means being a loving person." And walking in the darkness means being a person of hate. And are you quick to just hate people for the color of their skin, for their political views? Are you so quick to just hate people because of the things they say or the different beliefs that they have? I want to say, church, be extremely careful because in a simplified understanding of what it means to walk in darkness if you're quick to hate you are far from God you are walking in darkness verse 8 of chapter 2 at the very end it says the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. And, and my understanding of that darkness that's passing away is, is uh, it's the same word passing away used in chapter 2 and verse 17, but it, it's speaking of the world. The world is passing away and the desire of it. So John is saying that walking in the darkness means that you are controlled by your desires for this world instead of your desires for God. You're more willing to give all your energy and effort for the things and the materialism and all the things that this world has to offer and you just forget about the things that God says, hey, this is what I want you to be about. Walking in darkness means being controlled by the desires for this world instead of the desires for God. The reason John says this way of living is darkness... Is because the only way, church, the only way that you can desire the things of this world more than the things of God is if you are blind and as if you are in darkness. To help you understand it even more, it would be like choosing gravel instead of diamonds. The only way that you will choose gravel instead of diamonds is if you're blind. And you're in darkness. Verse 7 shows the positive side of walking in the light. Verse 7, But if we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Jesus His Son cleanses us from all sin. Walking in the light means seeing reality for what it is, and being controlled by the desires that honor God. If God is light and in Him there is no darkness at all, then He is the bright pathway to fulfill your deepest longings, to bring that peace that you really want, to bring the joy that you've always longed for. He is the one who will remove those obstacles to that peace. He will remove those obstacles to that joy. And according to verse 7, two things come when we walk in the light it says if we walk in the light, number one we have fellowship one with another we can learn how to truly be brothers and sisters in Christ how to truly be friends and in my view this is my opinion I think the thing that people are craving the most is genuine authentic Relationship. Friendship. I'm the first to admit that I struggle with knowing how to be a friend sometimes. And I've seen men who appeared to have it all, and at the end of their life they are left wanting because they don't have true, genuine friendship and relationship and community. Scripture says, if we walk in the light, we have fellowship one with another. We can truly be brothers and sisters. We can truly be friends. We can truly be connected in a way that nobody else can because of our relationship with Jesus Christ. Secondly, if we walk in the light, it says the blood of Jesus, God's Son, cleanses us from all sin We we can stand perfect in front of God because of Jesus. In chapter 1 of 1 John, we see a progression, okay? Your journey of faith, it starts with light. It starts with God. You have to come to faith in Jesus Christ for, for your mind to be open, for your heart to be open to the light. It starts with God. It all begins with God. And after we've stepped into that light, we begin to live out that newfound faith. We begin to learn how to walk in the light. We begin to see all the things that the light exposes, and we begin to to deal with all that stuff that was once blinded to darkness. We begin to walk out our newfound faith. Having been in darkness, we have to learn how to walk in the light. And in that journey... The journey of faith, in that process, many mistakes are going to be made. You're going to, even though there's light and I see there's a cliff, because I'm wicked in my flesh, I'll still walk off of that cliff sometimes. I'll still hit my head on branches. I mean, I'm still learning how to walk in the light. In that journey, in that process, many mistakes will be made. But John ends this chapter by reminding us that perfection will not be achieved in this lifetime. False teachers in this day, when John was writing this letter, they were saying that uh, sin is really not that big of a deal. They weren't taking sin seriously. They were teaching that when you become a Christian... You don't sin anymore. You're perfect. When God comes into your life, you are made perfect, you're new, and you will not sin anymore. Truth has a way of shining light and making crystal clear the path that we should travel. And it's wrong to say that your lifestyle after salvation has nothing to do with your conversion. Okay, James says, Faith without works is dead. It's a mixture of faith, but that faith transforms you and you begin to live out that faith. You're new. You're a new creature in Christ. You begin to walk out that faith. So faith void of works, if you say I'm a Christian and your lifestyle is anything but Christ-like, you're not a Christian. If you're a Christian and you give you have given your life to Christ, but your life is full of evidence, it's full of good works, that's a good sign you're a Christian. Faith without works is dead. So it's wrong to say that your lifestyle after salvation has nothing to do with your conversion. It does. It goes hand in hand. You have your conversion experience, you come to faith, but then your lifestyle better evidence that. For it to be real. But it's also wrong to say that your lifestyle after salvation must be perfect. Because it's not going to be. We are not perfect. John is about to make crystal clear. Uh, He's about to make that crystal clear. We need to deal with the sin in our lives. And we need to deal with it quickly. So just because we're followers of Jesus. We're still messed up. We're still battling our flesh on a daily basis. We're still learning how to walk in that light. So let's begin in verse 8. And let's see what John has to say about how to deal with this newfound faith in Christ, but yet we're still imperfect creatures. If we claim we have no sin, verse 8, we are only fooling ourselves and not living in the truth. To to say that you're perfect or that you're sinless, it really exposes you as a fraud. So when a person puts their faith in Jesus, God's Spirit takes up residence in your heart. Or we could say that the light of God comes into your life. And what John says here is that the light doesn't immediately drive out sin. It doesn't immediately just take it all away from you. This battle with darkness in our lives is going to last a lifetime. We're continually growing in our faith. We're continually being made new. It lasts a lifetime. John's saying when the truth enters the heart, that light of truth, it reveals sin in your life. It reveals what you need to focus on, what you need to work on, what you need to repent about. You know, church, the mark of a true disciple is not perfection. One of our sayings here at Grace Church is no perfect people allowed. If you're perfect, see ya. Seriously. Because none of us are perfect. No perfect people allowed. The greatest evidence that you are a disciple is not sinlessness, it's not perfection, but it's actually a brokenness. Or a sin awareness. It's actually a heart that looks more like this instead of this. Or whatever pride looks like. I don't know what that was. It's this. It's, it's humility. Saying, I am far from perfect and I need Jesus every day. That's a, that's a mark of a disciple. and when someone... you know, arrogance and pride and I've got it all figured out and it's not the mark of a disciple. It's actually a mark of the other team, to be honest with you. The mark of a true disciple is sin awareness. It's brokenness for sin. And the evidence that truth has entered into your life is the exposure of sin in your life. That's the evidence, man. When when people come to me and they're like, I, I put my faith in Jesus Christ, and now the things I used to do that I didn't feel like any shame or any guilt or any conviction, now I, I can't do those things anymore. Man, that's a great sign of the Holy Spirit in your life. He's not letting you get away with sin. Because light reveals the darkness in your heart. A great sign of spiritual maturity is genuine brokenness for sin. But John doesn't leave us there. In verse 9, he says, "But, But if we confess our sins to Him, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all wickedness. I don't know about you, but man, when I have sinned, when I have done some stupid things, and that awful feeling comes, and that shame and regret, and it's that oppression, it's that darkness, you can just feel it like on the back of your neck. And when I have the courage to say, God, I've sinned, and I confess it, He has been faithful and just to forgive me of my sins and to cleanse me. It's like this load, this rock that's been placed on my shoulders has been taken away. And it's freedom, it's cleansing. It's, you know, when you're just, when I get back from a hunting trip and you're just covered in filth and dirt and you're like, oh man, I'm so disgusting, and you take a shower. It's like that kind of feeling, guys, okay? You're like, ah, I'm clean. You are cleansed from sin. Confession frees us to enjoy fellowship with God. It's good for us to know that God wants to forgive you. He wants to. And I want to encourage you to have a heart of continual confession before God because it is a holy Lifestyle. It's a holy thing to do to just be continually in that mindset where you're continually confessing your sins before God. God doesn't expect us to keep our slate perfectly clean, it's not possible. But we should confess our sins so nothing gets in the way of our relationship with God. We should confess our sins so we can experience maximum fellowship. And joy with him. It's like any other relationship, church. When, when you wrong your wife, when you wrong your boss, or you wrong your neighbor, the relationship is going to struggle. It's going to be awkward. It's it's not going to be right. It's not going to be healthy until the wrongs are made right. And it's the same thing with our relationship with God. That's why we have to confess. That's why we have to be made right. So that our relationship isn't hindered. God is faithful. Unlike humans who may not forgive you, they may not know how to forgive. God, on the other hand, is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness when we confess with an honest and a sincere heart. Confession and forgiveness, it's critical, it's, it's a necessary piece to our journey of faith. In verse 10, John ends with a, with a strong warning here. And honestly, I've struggled with this verse all week. I'll explain why. He says, if, if we claim we have not sinned, we are calling God a liar... And showing that His Word has no place in our hearts. I've struggled with this because I don't know anybody personally. I don't know one single person who would say, I've never sinned. I've never met anybody that has said that. I think everybody's kind of quick to go, Yeah, I've done some dumb things, you know. I've sinned. So I've struggled with, like, man, if I've never met someone who's claimed that they have not sinned. But, On the other hand, I have met some religious people who thought they had it all together and thought that they didn't need to learn anymore. I have met some religious, arrogant people who were unwilling to even share some of their past mistakes to help another brother or another sister because they want to look good. They don't want... Anyone to think bad of them. I think, John, it's almost like he's saying, come on, guys. Come on, gals. You're not perfect. Quit pretending like you're perfect. You never will be. And if you think you have everything worked out, you need to learn more. You don't have it all together And if you think you do, you're calling God a liar. Don't call God a liar. If I could just recommend anything to you, don't call God a liar. Man, what's what's the first reaction you have when you just royally screw up? when you sin when you when you do something real stupid what's the first reaction of most people what's the first what was the first reaction of Adam and Eve they ran and they hid when people fail this is what i've been wrestling with this week when people fail when their marriage falls apart when When people stumble back into an addiction. When people just royally screw up. They run and hide. They run. Church becomes a thing of the past. They avoid believers at the grocery store. Church is usually the last place they want to be. Why? (laughs) Why is that? Because there is this crazy thinking that as Christians you have to have it all together all the time. And John is saying, quit fooling yourself. Quit pretending you have it all together. Don't be afraid, church. Don't be afraid to admit that you're broken. And man, John 13, 35 says, Your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. And I believe that love that is spoken of by John is best proved when someone is broken. How do we rally around one another when we mess up? How do we rally around each other when when a parent is going through that horrible time when they have a rebellious child and they are just like, I don't know what to do. How do we support them? How do we support that couple and their marriage and it's just like on the rocks? How do we love one another in those times of brokenness? How do we love the broken? I, I would say, church, first of all, we have to admit that we're broken. And instead of being on this pedestal, we intentionally lower ourselves to serve. We intentionally say, hey, can I can I speak something to you? Not from a position of pride, but gosh, man, can I just tell you a time when I messed up and how I got through it? Maybe that'll be an encouragement to you. We intentionally lower ourselves to serve and to encourage and to relate and to build relationship, to love. Jesus said, I am the light of the world. If you follow me, you won't be stumbling through the darkness. Because you will have the light that leads to life. If you want to learn how to truly love, look to Jesus Christ. Church, I I pray that in your moments of struggle and hardship, and they're going to come. I pray that this church can be a safe place for you, that it can be a refuge, that it can be a a spiritual hospital to to mend wounds. I pray that when you're going through those difficult times, instead of running, instead of hiding, you would seek out help. And I pray that. I pray that for Grace Church. I'm going to invite the band up. And uh, we're just going to close out this morning. Um, they're going to just play an instrumental song that we have uh, played already this morning. But I just wanted to give you some time to just confess to God, to just spend time with God, to confess, to accept God's forgiveness. Um, just to have a little moment here to uh, allow God to speak to your hearts and to your minds. And uh, so let's just... Uh, Just have an attitude of prayer here for a moment this morning.